Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, a podcast where I speak with experimental musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Jeff Entman, who creates the podcast Here Be Monsters, a show about the unknown. And I've not had a podcaster on Crucial Listening before, but you may or may not know that podcasting is a big part of my life. I mean, you're listening to this one right now, but also I do a podcast about podcasts because I love them so much. That one's called Episode Party. You can check that out at episode.party. And I think if there was ever a podcast that generated the same sensations that I get when listening to experimental music, it's Here Be Monsters. Like I say, it's a show about the unknown. And there are a lot of meanings that I can extract from that of what the unknown is in this context. And in fact, I've just had about five takes of this intro prior to this one where I tried to lay that out in more detail and then have decided, just go and listen to the podcast, dive in and get your own sense of what the podcast is and what the podcast can be. What I will say is that Jeff and I start this episode of Crucial Listening talking about an episode that he did recently where he took an old, old episode of Here Be Monsters and cut out all the voices and basically just broadcast the results. And it's really fascinating. I think it generates a lot of thoughts about listening generally and what we focus on. And as Jeff says a lot about how we also perceive our own lives and what we choose to emphasise and where that leaves us, really, as human beings in terms of our own welfare a lot of the time. So yeah, just listen to the podcast is what I'll say. It's such a wonderful show and I still feel like I'm getting a grasp on where its outer limits are. If there are any, it just seems to be growing and developing all the time and it's such an exciting experience to listen through that process. So you can check out the podcast if you're suitably tantalised by that vague and clumsily articulated introduction you can check it out at hbmpodcast.com you can also keep up to speed with what jeff is doing at jeffentman.com and also jeff is due to be doing an event at the copenhagen radio cinema festival which i mean his event takes place on the 14th of april there's events throughout that whole weekend But there's going to be a radio cinema where lots of Jeff's work on Here Be Monsters is is broadcast. And it's all under the theme of the haunting magic of sound. So querying where sound gets its meaning from. And the fact that sounds and places carry lasting changes with them. Sounds awesome. So if you are in that area or keen enough that you want to travel, go and check that out. Like I say, it's on in a couple of weeks in Copenhagen but otherwise kick back and listen to this this is a really nice podcast with Jeff I really got into the albums that he recommended here in fact with one of them I actually bought a gig ticket to go and see them live on the back of hearing Jeff's recommendation and it was great to just spend a bit of time speaking to Jeff generally as well all right that's enough ramble from me Jeff Entman on Crucial Listening Thank <laughs> you.
Hello, Jeff. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start by asking you about a recent episode of your podcast, Here Be Monsters, that came out called Negative Space, where you essentially remix a previous episode by removing all of the voices. So I listened to this today and I was so struck by how alluring it was to to hear what was remaining after you went through that process and um but also the the kind of palpable absence of what you took away like I could feel that pressing on the the size of the episode so I know you spoke about this a bit in the introduction to the episode itself but I just wanted to ask you about what led you to really go on that process of pulling apart one of your old episodes in this way yeah I mean I came to podcasting from photography and I I always tried when I when I made that switch to to not start from square one again. I think I think we actually might have talked about this a little bit before. I, I was always trying to cross apply lessons that I had learned from the visual arts, and you know, one of the first things they teach you in art is is that sometimes you need to pay attention to exactly the opposite of what you're trying to draw or what you're trying to take a picture of, and you look at the negative space, the shapes that they get made in between, um, in between the the things in the foreground right Mm. and so i remember i remember when i was in college i used to go for these walks in the woods and i i one day just looked up at the trees and started seeing the negative space in between them um and then i started making a lot of a lot of visual work about negative space it's kind of the dots that i've been connecting here together recently is that I realize now that that sometimes the way I, I treat problems in my life, I, I catch myself looking at the foreground just a little bit too much. I mean, it's it's nothing it's nothing life changingly bad that's happened to me lately. It's just kind of been a, a series of of misfortunes that yeah. have befell me from from throwing out my back and and I got like a really bad cold for a while and like I've just been kind of feeling like this emotional distress and I on top of that I, I think I just figured out that all my emails that I've been sending for interview requests have been going to people's spam folders Ugh. and I was like why are people not writing me back and, <laughs> and it was just like kind of like put this like big fog over over my head and so I, I kind of rewound my life a little bit to these other times in my life when I've been feeling this kind of duress and and um realize that that taking a look at a second for for negative space can can be really helpful and so i took this old episode which is i think that was 2013 so it would have been like five years ago i took this old episode and i went and i snipped out all those words to see if there were any little negative spaces that i had missed before what was it about the i mean i've explained what i found particularly intriguing about listening to that experience and there are various other things as well which perhaps don't lend themselves to articulation so well or at least i haven't thought of a way to think about them yet within you know words but i mean what what was it about the end result that was interesting to you when you came out the other side with the episode that you put out yeah i mean so much so much of of art i think is when you set up when you set up an expectation and then you violate it just slightly i mean people say the same thing about humor too which is like benign violation right where you like make a safe place for like a, a cultural norm to be broken right yeah. this is a little bit less extreme but in in the in the resultant piece what you hear is you hear like music that's in four four you know and has this predictable line but i'm kind of throwing in you know as when i made the original piece i was kind of throwing in my little two cents every every couple seconds so what you wind up with is you wind up with these kind of 
in, in a couple of places you wind up with these kind of like left field hip hop beats where it's like the <laughs> the uh the down beats are are jumping all over the place because you get these quick little pieces of a song extracted from them because that's where the voice was so you get that on one layer and then on another layer you have the perpetual like <gasps> like of like way too many inhales in a row because i was i was taking out the words but i wasn't taking out my my other things that my mouth was doing you know yeah um, and I kind of like that, this kind of layered sort of thing. And I was also using some weird sound design back then five years ago and, and things I wouldn't do now, which I think sound kind of dated, but, um, when, when they get all chopped up like that, it's a little bit more like, you know, when, when you hear a producer, you know, make a beat out of something from the early 2000s, you know, yes, this was, this was 2013. So it wasn't that long ago, but you know, it's like, oh, right. Like I, I feel parts of this, but, but like the original, like this is, this is maybe, <laughs> this is maybe better than the original, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you look at your old work and you, you, you see, you see all the mistakes, of course. Yeah. I mean, that does lead me onto a question that I was thinking of asking as well, which is obviously this podcast has been going on six and a half years thereabouts at this point. And, uh, it is a podcast that has such a fluid boundary of identity I think at least from the perspective of someone who's coming in as a a listener and I wanted to know if there's any key ways in which your relationship with Hibby Monsters has changed over the years I mean certainly like you say there there are some sound design elements which have evolved over time but are there any other things that you think are, are particularly key in the way that you now think about the podcast compared to you know however many years ago well, I mean, I think just the normal things, like I think when I started the show, I figured that history would remember me as the greatest human who'd ever lived, you know, <laughs> the normal stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I think that I, I thought that this show could, could save the world, you know, right. it sounds depressing to say that I don't think that anymore, but in, you know, it's like, like kind of coming to peace, like when you you know, when you, you fight for a long time to keep your hair from falling out and then you realize that your hair is just going to fall out. Right. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't look like that's a, a problem for you based off of your Skype picture. Jack, <laughs> Not yet. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting at that phase. Right. And I mean, I guess the things that I used to identify as, as selling out or, or, or maybe not even selling out, but like, like being boring I've like now come to embrace a little bit. Like I don't, I don't fight, I don't fight nostalgia like I used to. Mm. We're going to talk about this a tad, I think with some of my musical picks, but like, I, I think I used to think that I had to like the best art. And if I liked the best art, then I would be the best person. And now something's changed. And I'm not sure whether it's that I don't care about being the best person anymore, or if I've just decided that, the art that you think is good is the art that you pay attention to. And the art that you're probably paying attention to is the art that you grew up with. Right. And it's fine to like that. Even if you couldn't win a fight where you say, this is the best art. Two of my picks are, are artists I've been listening to for a very long time. And I, I don't necessarily think they're, they're super duper good. I just, I kind of understand the universes that they exist in. Um, and maybe as I get older, I'm, I'm becoming less willing to, uh, enter someone else's universe for the first time <laughs> yeah it's interesting to untangle those two streams of thought i think 
And it certainly seems that when I was 16, the the music that I liked was absolutely the most genuine form of expression. <laughs> and uh, it was so easy to be adamant about that and to uh, feel alienated by any other ways of approaching it. Were you listening to Rammstein and Metallica as well? He <laughs> went through a heavy... Uh, like when I was 13, it was new wave of American heavy metal. And, oh. Oh, big time. And then huh. uh, like post-rock, post-metal, and then harsh noise. And and by that point, I was like, look, if it's not a detuned radio or TV static, I, I don't want to know <laughs> about it. <laughs> uh, on the topic of music, I mean, obviously music is such a strong presence within your podcast. And I think... What I'm so drawn to when I listen to the show is how regularly the music feels diffused into the air of the podcast, like it inhabits the soundscape instead of accompanying it or sitting alongside it. I mean, do you compose pieces specifically for each episode, you know, for particular moments, or do you kind of accumulate music that would be appropriate and then kind of align music with each episode like how does it work when you're bringing music into the into the podcast yeah i you know the music that i i write for the show has that like percentage of music that i've i've licensed from other people versus music that i write for the show like it's gone a lot heavier into the latter category lately not because i enjoy spending all my time in front of the computer but just because I, i get a little bit more control there you know and of course you get the ability to do stems and whatnot. But mm. um, to your question, I always thought that as I got better at making music, I would I would just be pumping out tracks, you know, maybe one a day, maybe two a day, um, and just put them into a library. But I've tried doing that in the past, and it just hasn't worked out that well. Like, I need, you know, like when I, when I uh, make anything, I kind of need something to push back against. And if I'm just, if I'm just like, now it's time to make music... I don't really make anything that's listenable. Um, It usually is just harsh garbage noise. But like in the case of this, this most recent episode, Negative Space, the, the one track that you hear in that episode that isn't, isn't all chopped up is something that, that was kind of uh, maybe the fourth iteration of just me like playing with a granular synthesizer and and trying to get something that that had some kind of repeatability to it that that could sit underneath voice without overpowering it Hmm. and um and that 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 piece was custom made for that episode and that's usually how it works sometimes I'll, i'll i'll recycle stuff um yeah, I would actually like to recycle stuff more, but I, you know, you get like, you get like a, a strong association with a piece and, and where you feel like it should be. And, um, I, I've noticed that I, I feel resistant sometimes to recycling things just because it, if, if something feels purpose-made, it feels kind of perverse to, to throw it in where, where it didn't belong. I mean, do you also accumulate kind of an understanding of, you know, over the course of doing the podcast, how musical sounds interact with the human voice and, and where's the best place to pitch them in order to not create this sort of jewel for your attention as a listener to the podcast? Well, yeah. I mean, one thing that I, I feel really lucky that I figured out early on was the the ability, like the, the trick where you, you low pass 
music where you cut out all the high frequencies <laughs> and then you can get away with playing music loud while voice is playing but you can still understand the voice because there's no high frequencies in there that like intelligible intelligibility range remains yeah and if i when i go back and listen to the old catalog like i didn't know how to do it quite right but uh nowadays i think i'm a little bit better at it and you do like a little bit of the low passing and a little bit of volume reduction and it still feels like the music is right there um there's another trick i would use for for a while using uh what's called mid-side processing where you kind of split the audio out into kind of two and a half or three channels and then if you cut out all the middle frequencies, you get a little hole right in the middle of the stereo spectrum oh, wow. where you can plop a voice in. And I don't do that anymore because if you listen in mono, it, it sounds really, really <laughs> weird and bad. But if you listen on stereo, it's kind of this it's kind of this like trick where your your brain kind of thinks that there's a third speaker that's just playing the voice, and then you have this this very wide, like airy sounding music. And it, that can sound really cool too, but not all music works for, for either technique. And so I've noticed that on the show, I, I tend to shy away from guitars in, in pretty much any form, with the exception of, of things like last episode, where the, the melody of, of the main track that you hear in that song is, is like this really, really, really processed um, acoustic guitar sound that's been, been run through a lot of things so that it, it winds up actually sounding more like a piano than anything else, I think. Um, and pianos are great. I use, I use a lot of piano sounds. Yeah. And one of the questions I wanted to ask before we launch into the albums is just about the book that was recently put out as a collaboration with Chris Ann Adams called Beautiful mm -hmm. Stories About Dead Animals. I mean, there's so much, I think, within the podcast, which feels like it has a kernel for literature within it. Like the storytelling is, is so strong and I think so intimate in a way that does often feel akin to to reading i mean so what was it about your experiences with chrisanne which made you think i mean obviously she's a writer i'm sure that would be a big part of your answer here but i mean what was it about the experiences that made you think we can transpose here be monsters into into book form here you know i i'd want to do um i'd wanted to turn the podcast into something uh, literary for for a long time and it's kind of kind of funny just because i i don't actually catch myself reading all that often mm. um and so so the things that that do catch my eye when i when i do read something and it like really sticks with me for a while i try to pay attention to those things and um the the first book that this is the first and only book we, we've put out as a podcast um i want the first one to be something that like really uh, spoke to kind of the core idea of here be monsters, which is like, Hey, there's these, these terrible seeming things in the world. And we really need to suss out whether they are truly terrible or whether we just think they're terrible because we don't, we don't think about them enough. We don't explore them. We just kind of shove them under the rug. Mm. And so this was a two part episode that I did with, uh, an old friend of mine, Chris Ann Adams. And, um, we, we kind of made this like weird fort in an old church that had been turned into a library and, and recorded these, I think it was like seven or eight stories from her life. Cause she's dealt with a lot of animal death in her life, both, both kind of incidental and, and the actual in infliction of it. And the thing, the thing about her way of speaking and her way of writing is that she's, she's incredibly calm and she can talk about things that would be, very emotionally disturbing, I think, to most people and maybe are emotionally disturbing to her as well. 
Um, and, and we're certainly emotionally disturbing for me to hear, but she can talk about it in a way where you feel safe, um, listening to things that, that should be disturbing. And so this book, uh, I thought was a really good, good place to make that translation, partly because she is a writer and, and she has written about these stories before. So they kind of had a literary tone to them, uh, to start with. But addition to that, like I had some photographs that I wanted to publish. She had taken some really good uh photographs as well and so we kind of made this um you know both literary and and visual version of these two podcast episodes which i think exemplify the theme you know which is again like let's let's figure out if the things that we're afraid of are are worthy of being afraid of or if we just think they're unsightly and where can people check out the book and in fact the podcast as well where's the best place online to do that yeah absolutely um you know, the podcast lives everywhere podcasts live, which makes it really easy. It's just Here Be Monsters. Or on, on a lot of places called KCRW's Here Be Monsters, which is the name of our distributor, KCRW, the public radio station. On the on, So like any podcast app, it, it's really easy to find. Um, but the website itself is hbmpodcast.com. And that's where, that's where the book lives as well. There's just a button up at the top that says store. And um, I've been really pleased with with the book. I, I I finally got to hold one. You know, we we printed them remotely. And one thing that that I love about making this show is, you know, it has it has such like a dark theme to it. But intentionally, we we try to put bright colors on everything mm-hmm. um, to to make it clear that it's not just like the spooky podcast. You know, and so the cover of this book is this old, very old. Um, marbled paper that I found. Um, and then I, I took all the colors from this marbled paper, which really looks kind of like, it looks almost like, like if you were to slice through a big piece of meat, like raw meat, like all the like tissue and, and fat and like sinew and that sort of stuff, but it's really just marbled paper. And then I took and I, I re recolored the whole thing so that it was kind of rainbow. It's like, it's like a, almost like a, a rainbow of really bright saturated colors of this kind of like molecular slash meat looking thing. And it's something that makes me smile when I see it just because it, it, it it's not like a typical book cover, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think even just seeing the cover makes me second guess my initial preconceptions about anything to do with dead animals without even <laughs> opening it. It's, it's already food for thought. So, uh, yeah, it looks wonderful. So let's talk about your albums. I mean, one question I do ask before we go into the records is what led you to choose these records and define them as important? I mean, was there a particular means by which you thought about the term important in order to come up with the list of albums you brought? I mentioned this earlier, but uh, before we were recording, but, you know, I, I feel I feel a little bit silly sometimes because I, as much time as I spend involved in in making art i don't have a strong vocabulary around like what is artistically important and what isn't and so the criteria that i used here was i i I was trying to be honest i I said what are things that that i've listened to that have stuck with me in in lasting ways and i'm not sure if those things are important or if they're just catchy but if, if if i find myself thinking about something a lot I, that's kind of the criteria that I've used. And I think, I think that's, that's all I, I, I've got. Like they're important <laughs> to me. I'm not sure if they're important in the, in the cultural moment that we exist in. 
um, because I have had with two out of the three of these albums, I have had a hell of a time convincing anyone other than me that they are worth, you know, the, the, the hard, hard drive space that they take up. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really interested to get into that actually. Um, I mean, if you wanted to choose whichever one you wanted to start with, if you just give me the name of it and then a bit about why it's important to you as well. I mean, you listen, did you listen to these albums? Oh yeah. Like quite a lot actually. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, yeah, I am. I'm, I I hope that it wasn't the worst thing you've had to listen to, but if it is, (laughs) then I guess this will all be done soon. Um, We should, we should start with, uh, you know, I guess, okay, here's, here's my thought. Um, Maybe we should start with uh, Malibu Ken. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, this first album that I picked is, is called Malibu Ken. It's a, it's a self-titled album. It's a, it's a new project from two people who have been around for forever. Um, Malibu Ken is this collaboration between the rapper Aesop Rock and the producer Tobacco. And Tobacco is, is I think, better known as, as a part of an uh, electronic group that he, he either is or used to be a part of called Black Moth Super Rainbow, which is kind of this this really um i don't know any other way to describe it but warm it's this incredibly warm sounding sunny uh electronic band from i I believe somewhere in pennsylvania and aesop rock is this uh is this rapper who's kind of been skirting the outside of of uh of hip-hop and rap for i i'm i'm pretty sure the better part of like 15 years and this is this is a, a collaboration uh, between them that's in the form of a full album. And these are two people who had worked together previously, and I, I, I had liked that before. But this is like the first time that they they worked together in full. Um, one of the kind of quintessential things about uh, Aesop Rock is that people people will criticize him a lot for being kind of abstract and and difficult to get into. And I remember when I was in college and I, I was, I was talking to people about, about hip hop and, and a couple of times I got recommendations for Aesop Rock and I was like, I do not, I, do, I don't get it. I don't, why, why is this good sort of thing? And I, I don't know why I kept trying it though. It's like kind of like one of those things, like where it's like asparagus, you know, it's like my parents tried and tried for so long. <laughs> and like the minute that they stopped trying and like went over to someone else's house and and they like fed me asparagus i was like oh great the trick is that you don't steam it is that you fry it you know (laughs) i'm not sure what what why exactly i i persisted in trying to find uh out why my friends thought that aesop rock was good but i remember i was listening to one of his tracks one day and and he referenced like a not very well-known geographic feature from about 40 miles from where i grew up and i was like what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> and it was it was a reference to the Snake River Canyon, which is um, mostly in Idaho, but it's like one of the main tributaries to the Colum- uh, to the um, Columbia River, which is kind of one of the the major rivers in the Western United States. And um, and I grew up I grew up fairly close to the Snake River Canyon, and it turns out that like this this song that he was referencing. Um, this is not on this album. This is on this on some of his old work. But this this geographic feature which he was referencing was actually a reference to an attempt to fly a car across uh, a canyon that was that was made by Evil Knievel. E- Evil Knievel tried to um, send a rocket car across 
a canyon and and something went wrong and he immediately bailed and like parachuted down to the base of the Snake River Canyon. And it's this, this incredibly abstract reference, but it makes sense in the in the context of the song. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, like, oh, I think it's just this total geographic thing that I was like, oh, like this guy's cool because he talks about this place in Idaho that no one ever goes. And um, in this most recent album, he he references fluffernutters, which do you do you know about fluffernutters? No, I heard it mentioned in the song. And I think it comes yeah. straight on the back of some mention of horses. So I was a bit confused by that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a fluffernutter is a type of sandwich that you make with uh, peanut butter and marshmallow cream. And I just like my brain perked up when he said fluffernutter because like all these years later, like more than 10 years since since I started listening to Aesop Rock. Oh, no, actually just about 10 years since I started listening to Aesop Rock. He references fluffernutters, which is made with marshmallow cream, which was a product that I think to this day maybe even is still made in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is actually where I just moved from. So, you know, Aesop Rock is like, I think, a difficult rapper to like. I think especially because the uh, main part of his personality, I think, is, is often talking about how hard it is to write lyrics (laughs) and maybe that comes off as complaining but i think as someone who like puts out work myself when i hear aesop rock talking about like that pain that like actual pain that you feel when like you're extracting thoughts from your mind is is something that like speaks to me and feels a little bit cathartic to listen to Hmm. and kind of in these in these more recent albums what what you see a lot of is you see him talking about either like talking to his therapist or like like in in his last album like his therapist tells him to get a cat and so he gets a cat and like in in this album he's talking about like you know getting older and realizing that actually he just doesn't really like talking to people that much and that's kind of this this first this first track that i think i think the fluffernutter reference is in this first track here yes which is called corn maze and you know he talks about how he puts he puts um he puts walls up in his in his life like a corn maze, um, and anyways, I <laughs> I, I feel I feel weird about this album because it, it is it, it could so easily come off as just someone complaining and maybe it is but it, it feels it feels really um it feels really close close to home for me. Something you mentioned when you sent the email over to me featuring your picks was that you got closer to Aesop's music when you realized that you didn't have to get everything he said. So yeah, what was it that then started to allure you once that wall was broken down? I think that one thing that is, is true of all three albums I have is that they very rarely tell you exactly what they're about. Like they, they leave work for you as the listener and and there's no like there's no like flip the page upside down and you see the right answer like did i get the answer right <laughs> um you 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 don't ever 100% know and so i think one thing that i find about artists that that i keep coming back to is that they don't they don't tell you what the right answer is they they paint they paint pictures for you you know it's like it's like this this um melange or like milieu of 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 a world that's been created and like everything the artist makes exists within that world but that's all you get you get you get like a cast of characters and you get like a set of scenes and like a sort of set of mindsets that that exist in this in this world but but you're never gonna like 
Well, I guess there's a couple of exceptions with, with Aesop Rock where, where it's like very much about one thing, but the vast majority of the songs are, are kind of left for you to kind of connect the dots and, and realize what possible associations he had as a kid. You know, I think, I think that's, that's part of the reason why it works really well as a collaboration with Tobacco, who I, I don't know if this is possible to convince anyone of, but like, like I feel like uh, as far as a musical style goes, it kind of exists in the same sort of way where like you, you don't quite ever know what, you, you rarely can tell what exactly the vocoder voices are saying. Right. But they, they sound right. And, and maybe you'll catch a word here or there, but like there is this kind of wall of obscurity where you have to, you have to like push really hard to see if there's, if there's meaning there. Um, and maybe there's nothing like maybe sometimes it is just nonsense, but it's, it's totally possible for you to pull things out of there that maybe the artist didn't, didn't understand at all. Um, like maybe you saw something that they didn't in their lyrics, or maybe you're just making random connections because it, it seems, it's in, it seems kind of out there. Oh yeah. One of those, one of those like tobacco vocoder lyrics that, that I did pick up on this. I'm sure you heard this too is, is like Aesop rock raps, uh, raps a, a verse and then the vocoder comes in and it says we don't know and another thing we don't care yeah. and you can't tell whether it's tobacco like agreeing with aesop rock and that like they, they don't care about this situation or if if like the multi timbral vocoder is just saying that aesop rock isn't making any sense at all <laughs> you know that like i don't actually care what you're rapping about you know sort of thing and it's like you have to you have to make those associations because it is just a little bit abstract but you know it, at the same time there's these like really clever little word plays like in one song he says he says iodine arbus right iodine arbus <laughs> you know the photographer diane arbus and, and iodine and it's like it's like, does that mean anything? Right. Is it just clever wordplay? Yeah. Or, like, can you can you talk about Diane Arbus as as being as being a form of anti um, antiseptic? You know what I mean? Right. Um, it was Diane Arbus that that took the picture of that kid with the the toy hand grenade, wasn't it? Isn't that her famous photo? I don't know. Anyways, Diane Arbus is a great photographer. I'm a big fan of Diane Arbus. Nice. Oh yeah, I actually wrote down some other lyrics here. You you probably aren't aren't super into just me reading lyrics what? Are you? no absolutely please go ahead oh really yeah i mean i love the first album on that track so much that, that's why i wanted to talk about this it's like i heard that first track and i was like it was right after you emailed me i'm like i'm sure the rest of this album's great and the rest of the album is great it's not as great as the first track though the first track is amazing you know like even just from the opening lines i'm the world weekly news bat child beelining from ash pile to ash pile to ash pile for every ghost climbing out the fat flat file every gaff every lone spaz in the snack aisle it just like it keeps going <laughs> in one of the tracks he says um he he references that he has a bed with two wrong sides on it yeah and and on the i mean like this is the thing is that like i do understand completely why people criticize him for not making any sense but i think i think more so than a lot of other rappers i listen to he like doesn't usually lash out at his critics and and I think especially in a lot of his later work, his more recent work now here, like you'll hear him referencing how he uses abstractions to avoid talking about his actual feelings. And on the, the, the last track in this in this album has has the refrain um, live from an empire builder, yeah. which is uh, one of Amtrak's um, uh, east west lines, I believe, in America. 
and and my my takeaway from this song is that like someone in his life hurt him or he did something to hurt someone else and he went to the train station and bought just a a long train ticket and and wrote this song while he's there and and the opening opening line from that song is something that seems very much in like the the world of Aesop Rock which is where he says it talk, I, I talk like it hurts to talk and and this is this is a track that is is much more like intelligible and like this this moment where he um he talks about you know the ways in which like language can can obscure things even even though it purports to to explain them you know um <laughs> i guess yeah, I, I guess it's like it's like weird because I like simultaneously love the the thickness of of the words, but you know, it's um, uh, abstraction is certainly something that that you can hide behind if you actually don't have meaning. You yeah, know what I mean? You can absolutely. just like throw a bunch of random things out there, um, and and it sounds intelligent. And he has this huge vocabulary, both of both of words and of historical events, um, too, that you 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 wind up seeing in a lot of these. In a lot of these songs, especially the 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 Bat Child, are you familiar with the Bat Child? No, not at all. Oh, it was this. Um, well, I, I I mean, actually, going off of these lyrics here, I'm I'm pretty sure it was in the World Weekly News, but it was like this this classic tabloid headline in America of this like it was like a, a doctored fit photo that that was like this child screaming, and they had like these huge huge big bat ears and it says in giant letters it just says bat child escapes and you're supposed to think that there's this like creature roaming roaming around like terrorizing america oh my god yeah uh, i just brought a picture up of it god that's intense <laughs> i just did it too uh he's two feet tall and very dangerous <laughs> wow um i mean it's really interesting actually to hear you talk about what you perceive to be the overarching story of these songs or the general sentiment because that's something that i've probably listened to this album eight to ten times through i guess really yeah just um that's about how many i how many times i have (laughs) i think you probably found stuff that i didn't (laughs) i i think it's because because when i work from home i can just put things on loop but um one one thing I think has happened when I've been listening to the album in real time is I found myself getting fixated on the phonetic wordplay of every single line and then the overarching story just kind of gets washed away because I'm sort of just clinging on to the minor details. I mean, it sounds to me like he's having... And this may be something which is more prevalent in hip-hop than I'm, you know, clued up enough to realise, but... The amount of times he mangles consonants into each other but still manages to get them all out, but in a way where it sounds like he's having so much fun making a you know, an S go straight into a CH, straight into a Q, mm. whatever, and still all get it out in one go. I can kind of forgive the abstraction just for the sheer delight of hearing someone master their tongue and teeth like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I before I record my my uh my scripts i usually pull up lyrics to to some of his old songs that are a lot faster serious and i i try to i try to say them all and they, they're just absolute tongue twisters and it gets it gets my mouth limber you know what i mean and i would be terrified if if anyone ever heard me 
doing this because <laughs> it's it's not because it's like obscene or anything like that. It's just like I am I am physically incapable of of making the words do that sort of thing. Yeah. But you hear it you hear in this album a lot of him like having to to really enunciate stuff so that it doesn't get it doesn't get lost um in the beat or in between words, you know. Yeah, I mean speaking of the beats, I mean the music I think was the first thing that came at me and appealed to me because you know, I've been a Boards of Canada fan for such a long time and it feels like tobacco comes from the same kind of I mean it sounds like he works with either exclusively or largely like analog instruments is that right i i think it is last i checked he he was only using analog equipment yeah yeah and you hear that drift a lot you know that that like just like that thickness in there and the and the just like grimy sounds to it and that's that's certainly that that like saturated sound is certainly certainly a, a trademark sort of thing i didn't i had never made the boards of connect the boards of canada connection before but i can totally hear what you're saying yeah, there seems to be a lot of those kind of like fifth harmonies and stuff, which uh, they seem to use as well. But uh, one question I did have here, but it sounds like you might have already answered it. But whether you had a favorite track, sounds like it's Corn Maze. I, I think it's I think it's Corn Maze. And I think it's just because I, I, have a, I have a soft spot for opening tracks on albums. And this one, this one where you're just like, what you know, you go into something you're like, what is this going to be? And it's just like that, that like bling a ding a ding gink, you know, thing. And then just like incredibly, incredibly grimy beat comes in. I was like, okay, I'm into this. I'm 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 here, you know. Um talking about Bat Child in the first sentence, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's strong. It's a strong start to an album. There's actually a music video for this track that that I think reveals a little bit of Aesop's rock character, you know, because like the thing is about him is that like, you know, maybe it's a trope. I'm not sure. But like he comes off as very like almost like mean, I feel like a lot of times. But I don't know if that's actually who he is as a person. And you see these like little glimpses of it where he like he did a really cool like uh, co- collaboration project with Kimmy Dawson because they're, they're pals, you know, and um, she's been on his albums a couple of times. And like the end of the music video for this song is like the the song is all the video for it is all about like these these characters in this like nineties anime show who like one of them like kind of becomes self aware that she's a character in an anime show and like trying to figure out like why things are so weird. Wow. And, and like don't make any sense. And and kind of like her trying to escape from the world of the the T V show. Um, which is presumably kind of the media that, that he was watching growing up, you know, or maybe eighties. I'm not sure he's older than that. And then like at the end of, at the end of the video, like this, I think, I think she's like holding a, a bucket of popcorn. It's like nine year old girl just like plops down and like starts watching the show with like a bucket of popcorn or something like that. <laughs> and like, you realize it's like, oh, right. Like, I, I don't think he has kids, but like, he's, he's someone who like, I think is one of those people who focuses a lot on like being able to be presentable when he when he needs to be and like i think all his friends have kids you know and he's like kind of this this 40 year old guy just like rapping and skateboarding you know (laughs) felt like um i think the song tuesday on this record kind of plays on that a bit he's a feels a bit gross about himself yeah i like that track because it's, it's kind of about like how like bad things happen on tuesdays and tuesdays are tuesdays and tuesdays (laughs) are a day of the week and you can't blame 
Tuesday. It's just a day when bad things can happen like any other. You know, I, I do love that. Weather, but it's worth it. From Cobras after kiss them on the cheek, to snatching victory from out the jaws of eminent defeat. The phone ping from a pillow fort in a corn maze. I don't have a horse in your war games. I don't even really like horses. I like wild orchids and neighbors with wild orbits. Electric fence and pets that tend to pretty much ignore us. We head by in the mornings, then report to separate corners. Criminy, you're killing me, Smalls. The fist balls up. I pull my hood down. I got some walls up. Well, let's go to your second record now, Jeff. If you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. What do you think we should do? I'm trying to... Um... Let's go for the knife. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've gone for shaken up versions here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting um, choice. This is the other album. We're, we're starting with the two albums that I've not been able to convince anyone are good. This is the last album that the knife ever put out. It was it was a remix album of of a bunch of their old work. Some of it popular, some of it not. And, you know, the knife is a, is a band that's been around for. Oh God, longer. It's, it's like a band that's been around for longer than you think. I'm not sure how long that is actually. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the two people in it, I should actually probably know their names. Um, one of them's name is, Oh, I think, I think it's Karen and Olaf. Yeah. And I, are they brother, sister? Yes. Did you look this up that I should have looked this up? They're brother and sister. Yes, they are. They are brother and sister. Swedish. Did I get that right? <laughs> I I believe so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I meant to Google this before we <laughs> talked because it's like I know I've said it wrong in the past before. These, you know, yeah, they're, they're, Gothenburg. They're a, a, yeah, yeah. They're a um, you know, they're this this Swedish band that's been around for much longer than you would think, and they're they're brother and sister, and they they've put out all sorts of different kinds of music that's that's kind of been in this like weird electronic dance music world, but like to call it electronic dance music would, would, I mean, it wouldn't be wrong. It would just be that the people that you think of who like electronic dance music probably don't like the life <laughs> that, yeah. that much. Um, maybe they do. I mean, it's, it's dark. It's like, it's like often quite dark. And, and I think the thing that first drew me to the knife, I had, I, I was, I dated someone in college who, who turned me on, to this this band and at first it is it similar like at first i did not like it at all and then i started hearing these really beautiful things happening in the mixes and like one thing that i respect karen for so much is that like she has never been in any way afraid to uh like modulate and mutate her voice and she'll she'll just put herself down in like the sub bass area and then she'll like like instantly switch it over just these like screeching um like piercing vocals and and similarly the the person who makes the the i think the majority of the beats uh, olaf will mix incredibly traditional sounding like synthesizers and and in in this album like and in a lot of their other albums you hear things like saxophones and and steel drums and mm. and other things and things that you, you you really cannot tell whether it's something synthesized or whether it's something um that that's been sampled or something that's just being played over top of 
uh, electronic sounding things. And I think that's the way it should be. Like I, I get frustrated that that we do, and I, I fall prey to this all the time. Is separate things out into acoustic and electronic music, and and the the, the fact of the matter is, is we shouldn't be thinking of it like that. We should be using the tool that's best suited for the job. And and if that's going to be an acoustic guitar, then that's going to be an acoustic guitar. But it shouldn't. You shouldn't start with the question of am I going to use a, a digital or an acoustic instrument. And this is this is a really this is a. I really like this album. I think partly because it's nostalgic and partly because it's sad that it's it's their last album, but mm-hmm. also partly because it's just incredibly frenetic. And like the things that 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 they put out previously which which seemed like kind of abstract dance music like look really tame in comparison to <laughs> uh what they what they refer to as their shaken up versions where it, i mean it, it really does kind of sound like you took the old songs and you just like put them in the vitamix and, and <laughs> spin it around for a little bit and then you you come out with these like polyrhythmic drums that that don't quite line up and like there's like a point in the album where karen's singing and panned hard on the left is like uh, a theremin that is like kind of imprecisely following her voice it's, it's like it's like almost like um uh someone's like put a bunch of those like electric dog collars on you and and they just are kind of like going off at random we're like ooh. Oh, you know, like what, what? Where is this coming from? What is what is this even? And and in my mind, it somehow works. It's not painful to listen to. And like, I just wish I had like a giant PA and a subwoofer, and I could just like like go out into a field somewhere and just play really really loud this album, maybe just for myself. Because there's these just beautiful moments where you'll be in the middle of this very synthetic sounding drumscape and then just like a really jazzy saxophone just cuts through and goes boom 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 <laughs> you know like that's sort of thing you're like oh my god this is like no other thing i've ever heard before and it just sounds like yeah it just sounds like skipping sometimes not like skipping like a a, a cd but like skipping like your your mind is just skipping down the street yeah i mean it's so interesting you Mention the fact that you want to play this record really loud. I mean, from what I understand, it's sort of a distillation of kind of a set of live versions of these tracks that they were doing on their final tour. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's where it came from. Yeah, I mean, did you ever get a chance to see them live? No, and that's 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 one of my many regrets. Oh, because <laughs> uh, yeah, that looked kind of ludicrous as well i mean i heard a lot of people talking about the the way they approached that live show yeah it looked you know not to rub it in yeah. Jeff, <laughs> but it looked quite amazing <laughs> i i know i just spoke poorly of the like separation between like electronic and acoustic music but i mean you know so many artists really play into that trope themselves and like a lot of electronic shows i've been to you know it's like the the quintessential like guy with a laptop right sort of thing and you know their live shows as far as i've understood have have never been that where they'll they'll hire you know dancers and they'll have just like giant drums on stage and and all these sorts of things that that don't and of course like costumes and whatnot and i mean i understand that like not everyone has budget or or interest in that sort of thing but like i think it, i think it does electronic music a dis, disservice a lot of the times when it's just um when it's just presented as this uh kind of dry 
medium, this like dry, incredibly precise medium. And this is like, this is like a group that I think maybe gave people permission to make electronic music a little bit less clinical. Yeah. While still maintaining those sorts of things that are really hard to do with acoustic instruments, like like um subtractive synthesis or like physical modeling synthesis and like these things that like as i've i've started i've started getting a little bit further into electronic music i've started to be like oh that's how you got that sound but there's this like white whale that i experienced with them and this the, the the remix of this track is is on is on the shaken up versions but they're they're um, one of their better known songs, which is called Silent Shout, which as far as I know is about having a dream where all your teeth fall out. There's this like, there's this like incredibly, for me, like this incredibly sublime arpeggiated sound in it that, that is, is so complicated. And for as long as I've been making music, I've been trying to figure out the, the buttons to push on an, on an arpeggiator that would make sounds anywhere close to what what happens in that track right. as this is like it's like this like rolling like but it's like it's like changing it's changing its notes so fast and i feel like if i just got like a little bit better at music i would understand what those notes were mm. but I, I my brain just can't comprehend it at this point and so like when i think of I, I think this actually this is actually relevant like i've i've for a long time wondered what their influences were and they haven't done a ton of interviews in their life but like they did do this one interview where they talk about their influences and it's like a couple musicians you know but the vast majority of it is is film and and literature um graphic novels you know uh and and movies you know yeah um that seems to be what the majority of their influences are and even even if like the sound of the knife isn't at all in the work i do now one thing they absolutely did was give me permission to draw my influences from outside the field that I work in. And that's been so helpful because it, it kind of frees you up to think about your field in ways that, that maybe other people haven't thought of. And the, the downside of it is, you know, like one thing about the knife is they, they don't really collaborate with other people um, at all. And so they're kind of guaranteed to live in obscurity, I think. <laughs> Um, because the like most famous they ever got was when Jose Gonzalez covered one of their songs. Yes, that's how I came to know them, because I had a friend at uni who was like, oh, you do realize that that's a cover of this, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've all got that friend. But uh, no, I was, yeah. I, I mean, The Knife is such an interesting band to me, because I've always been so allured by them. It sounds like basically the scenario that you had with Aesop where there was something there's something that compels me towards them and tells me this should be a band that you're really into Jack and then sonically I just I find them difficult like really difficult and it's been so cool to get an opportunity to try and really challenge that and to think about why that is in the context of this record and actually i think i got as close as i've ever been to enjoying the knife through listening to this this record for something that has essentially such a danceable core it's it's hard work (laughs) it's like difficult (laughs) listening right do you have to in the uk do you have to do your taxes or does the government just tell you how much you owe yeah i've done a, a tiny bit of freelance work where i had to do it myself but for the most part they just do it huh 
Well, when you're when you're doing that freelance work, I, that's when I'd recommend listening to stuff like this. That that's how I get into <laughs> this kind of music. I, I like listen to this, and I listen to like Deep House when I'm doing my taxes, and I'm like, oh yeah, I get it now. <laughs> it's like you just got to do your taxes to it. Yeah. You ever listen to Matthew Deere? No, no. Oh, okay. Matthew Deere is great for doing taxes. Matthew is like kind of like a, not not in any way as weird as as the knife is. But like kind of similarly, like it's like you're like this is house music. I know this is house music, but it's like this would never be played where other house music was played. And it's music that you listen to while you're doing your taxes. At least that's my theory. That's when I listen to it. I love it. And like Nicholas Jar, you know, Nicholas Jar can play at a club though. Yeah, it's true. You know, but it's like kind of similar. Like kind of these like the phrase that I that I use for this is like kind of like uh, dusk dusk world music, where it's like if you went to a planet where like the sun never fully rose you know if like the planet was like at an angle like the sun just kind of like you know how like at the arctic circle when when the sun just like runs around you behind the the mountains Mm -hmm. it's like i can't feel like it's like that kind of music it's like dusk world music and that's kind of the world that i try to enter for the podcast sometimes (laughs) which is i guess is also the sensation when you're doing your taxes is that in the sun they never rise again <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's a deep that's a deep analogy there <laughs> and um i mean what did you make of the the record that they put out you know i, I guess their full length proper before this one shaking the habitual oh you know i mean kind of to your point jack like I, I really liked about two and a half tracks on that album and the rest of it was unlistenable for me. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. so intense. Like there's that 20 minute one in the middle. Uh, <laughs> wow. I kept seeing the track durations come up and I was like, another 10 minute one. This is insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, it, I mean, I always wonder about this, about like whether it's better as an artist to put out a, bunch of stuff and know that only some of it is good but not be sure which some of it that is or whether it's better to like really make sure that the stuff you're putting out is like good good and i think i fall more in the first category because i think that when i see artists like like really worried about upsetting their fans they tend to upset their fans more yeah because they're either not pushing themselves hard enough or they think that they can push their fans way harder than they can. I don't know, though. I, d- I really don't know. I mean, Shaking the Habitual is is brilliant in some parts to me, and then there's other parts of it that I'm just like, I'm never going to like. Yeah. I often... Uh, those works are often really fascinating to me. There was the time that Swans were going to break up originally or it felt like it was going to be their last record soundtracks for the blind which was i felt like the closest analogy that i have to this uh shaking the habitual which is just like basically a conclusive retrospective dump of everything left that they had to say regardless of whether or not it felt cohesive it became Mm. cohesive because of its finality rather than anything any sonic continuity if that makes any sense i'm gonna have to try and listen to that album because i I think i feel the same way about swans that that you might feel about the knife where it's like i think i should like this and i can't figure out why i don't Mm. you know and and for me like the the musicians that i've i've found most influential to me i've I've almost never been musicians i've liked out the gate they've been like things that take a little bit of work 
Yeah. There's a, well, who knows that there could be a breaking point for you with swans and with me with the knife. That's yeah, kind of the absolutely. cool thing. And do you have a favorite track off Shaken Up Versions? I think you mentioned the one with the, the theremin following her voice and all the mental polyrhythms. That one was one that stuck out for me. I think that's Bird, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that was, I love that. I love the original of that song, too. And I can't, I, I'm kind of like in my head, like kind of both are playing. But it's like, <laughs> I think they redid the vocals on either all or most of the tracks. Hmm. But in the original, it's just like the highest pitched, like, like most, I, I can't think of a better word than like prissy. But it's like, <laughs> if I was a bird, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> and it's like the beat for it is just like this, like, like children's keyboard kind of like going boop, 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 yeah. boop, 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 boop. And then you're like, wait, is this like a bad kid song? And then these really interesting synth things come through about halfway through the song in the original. But, and then this is, this is really funny because in, in the remixed version, it's like a fairly heavy track, you know, and the original for it is just this incredibly like <laughs> meek, like child song. And I love both versions. Um, I think that, Pass This On is is one of the tracks that they remixed on this album. And the original the original song is haunting and the remixed version is haunting. It's like it's kind of like this terrifying admission or confession of of being in love with your friend's sister. Oh yeah. And it never feels comfortable mm-hmm. when you listen to it. But there's just this like steel drum part that's like kind of guiding you through and like just maybe because of the associations we have with steel drums, like steel drums, I think are supposed to feel reassuring or like, I mean, just because of like the messed up vacation culture that America has, we we assume that, that anything with steel drums is like fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's just this, si- like in multiple ways, this like siren song of like, admitting this shameful thing and and also just this like really high-pitched singing that's so beautiful and and in in the shaken up version like she she'll she'll pop it down an octave to to make her voice sound really you know stereotypically masculine too and then the meaning changes as it as it goes up an octave to kind of her more normal register yeah you know and this i think that's probably my favorite song on this album i it's it's um it's it haunts like that haunts me yeah there's something very casual about the lyrical delivery of that as well i think there's a line where she's like i might pop by well yeah and that's the thing that's weird about the knife too is that like the lyrics are really like if you if you weren't paying attention you would think that all the lyrics were about like like and then the forest spirit like took me to the cave and it's like there is some (laughs) of that like like she talks about holding a handful of elf pee in one of the songs but um you know, more often than not, like the knife's lyrics are about like watching TV. Yeah, um, it's just this really weird, weird, like kind of mix between mythology and like the the very banal existence of being an adult. So let's go to your final record, 
Now, Jeff, uh, if you give me the name of it and uh, yeah, a bit about why it's important. Yeah, um, the the last track that I or the last the last album that I, that I picked was by a rapper who's goes by No Name, um, and this is an album from 2016 called Telephone, and I just love this album. There's like that's the long and short of it is that in in every conceivable way, I think that this is a beautiful album and does the things that I wish I could do as an artist, which is make something that seems effortless right mm. it's an album that 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 feels like it just flows from place to place to place and like on the deeper level you you absolutely know that like someone put their heart and soul and like every ounce of their energy into making this but the final presentation of it is just so effortless and this you know this ability for no name to like rap cohesively and just like incredibly it sounds kind. It just sounds like, like kind. Yes. Even when she talks about terrible things, she sounds like the most warm and, and welcoming person. And that the, like the lyrics just like fell out of her mouth, but you know that that can't be true. Like nothing like that. That's like so intricately produced just comes out of out of nothing and i this is this is the one album of the three that i've been able to convince some people is good because it's i think it's i think maybe because it's beautiful and the other two things aren't really like super beautiful um at least not in the in the traditional sense um it's it's an album i think about a lot of things but there's kind of this market transition about halfway through where um in the beginning it's it's like kind of a lot about uh general life and love and like like a lot about drugs and and things like that and then about halfway through it starts getting this like real shift into into like the production style too where where like babies like the the cry like the cries and like the kind of squeaks of babies start getting incorporated into the beats yeah and also like so much of the the tonal element of it really sounds like it comes from like kid toys or like little xylophones or or like pianos or, or things like that um and you get this like real childish tone at the end but like throughout the entire album there's these these other rappers and and vocalists who who just kind of um drift in and out and in a way that i i i'm sure happens in other music but like i can't think of another album where i've heard just like a, a rapper just like kind of show up for a verse and like do the thing and then like you come back to no name and it's like there's no there's no real like break point where it feels like a lot of the times where when you hear rappers come in and out, they're like, they like feel like they're kind of existing in different worlds that are held together by, by the similar beat. Yeah. But in this, it just feels like almost like, like different versions of herself or like different people that like she, she's known for 20 years are just like kind of coming in and out. But I don't think that's the case. Again, that's why I think this is such an impressive album for me is because it just feels effortless and and you know it's not yeah i mean i did actually read i think it is uh, a lot of people who feature on this record i think are people who are just really close in her life and i wonder whether that's that is why that embedded quality quality exists it's just a lot of people who with whom she has such an empathy that they understand what she's doing to the extent that actually they can just meld straight into that vision rather than you know giving it their spin uh, yeah yeah I wonder if it's, I wonder if a lot of the the vocalists are Chicago people too, you know. I know that it's not like I know her, you know. It's like I know that I know that Chicago is like a really 
I mean, that's where she's from and that's like an important thing there. And I know there's like a certain kind of style of, of Chicago music that's happening right now. And I wonder if, I wonder if a lot of those other vocalists are from there as well. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it just feels like they're all speaking the same language, like in a, in a really beautiful way that like, I, I, I don't in any way speak like that, but you can tell that it feels like you're listening to like a completed, a completed project that took, you know, a thousand years to make. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I sometimes speak like incredibly highly of this album in a way that I can't always defend. It's just like from the moment I first heard it, I, I realized that like this was going to be something that was going to play um, for years to come. Actually, the the first the first track. I mean, there's like singles on this album, you know. Um, the first track that I really liked on it was was the track that uh, separates that that first half of the album with the second half of the album, which is called uh, Freedom, um, or is it like Freedom Interlude? Yes. And I'm not sure if that that song stuck out to you. I, I haven't actually really heard heard many people talking about, it, which is so weird to me because it's like. Is it maybe it's because it like has kind of a weird beat where it's like it's like this like heavy snare drum kind of. Yeah. It's like on a lot of the different, you know, if you break down a beat into sixteen sections, I feel like it's like on maybe twelve of them. Yeah. Um but it's like do 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 which which is maybe like an aggressive beat except for the instrumentation. And it's kind of this like like throbbing beat and then she she I, I think I'm not like a great lyrical interpretist by any means but like i think what she's talking about is like meeting someone on the internet and like thinking she really likes them and then inviting them to go to her go with her to a wedding in arizona and she gets there and like the guy ditches her and the people are like hey you said you had a plus one like what's the big deal yeah (laughs) like it's, it's like it's like a moment you know and then and then it's like it's like all these like insecurities she has about like her drinking and stuff come comes out and like i think she's saying that i'm not i'm not positive about this um but i i think she's she's saying that like her her mom thinks she has a drinking problem and that she's like really self-conscious about whether that might actually be true Hmm. um and just kind of that that again that like a little bit of like a feeling of despair when when you're not quite sure what the what, what reality has for you. Like you have this like one expectation of, of, um, this person who you thought you trusted, who was like going to this event with you and they don't show up. It's like, it's like when, when you have for some people, and I count myself in this category as well, like when you have just like one crack in the reality, like then, then all these other things flow in. And this is kind of actually weirdly full circle because it's kind of how I've been feeling lately when it's like one thing goes wrong, then you can suddenly find a bunch of other things to go wrong. And like all these old insecurities crop back in. Maybe I'm just totally over interpreting this and like trying to make it all about me. (laughs) I think it's a beautiful song. And I think one of the best things about this song is that like, it's a weird beat and she like raps two verses in it. And then the song's only half over and then it's just like that same beat just kind of plays itself out. Yeah. Like her voice fades out eventually and it just like keeps going. Well, it's like, it's huh. interesting yeah. you uh, mention about that you kind of bring it back to your own experience. I mean, that line that you mentioned about where I think she's speaking from the perspective of like a promoter or someone on the door being like, you said plus one, so where's your plus one at? It's... Uh, 
one of those rare points in life where it becomes very apparent that you've been rejected or dumped or ditched and that becomes apparent to a complete stranger and i've had it had it before where i've kind of gone to an event and then you know i've been on a a list and been like put myself down for a plus one when you show up alone it is super embarrassing and that pang that that pang of embarrassment i think hit me just in that line there's there's so much loaded into that line like so much uh kind of anxiety and like upset of just being like yeah no it's just me (laughs) uh having to justify that I, I guess I guess you're right. Like I, I just assumed it was a wedding, you know, and and it could be a concert, it could be anything else, but like regardless, like you show up and and you have this expectation of like, even if it's just like impressing the the door person, you know, <laughs> like ooh, like this person's with me, you know. Yeah, it's humiliating. It, it's humiliating. And oh, and it, one other thing she does is that she sometimes changes her perspective in in the piece, and she talks as if she's someone, if she's someone else, and like. In, in this in this song she she references someone named Fatima and I didn't know for the longest time that that's her name ah. and, and she says like she's talking about this guy but it's it's uncertain it's uncertain whose perspective she's talking from but you know she says I hope you find Fatima and she hold him down and and it's like it's like as if like she's supposed to be the rock in this person's life in this person who like presumably ditched her you know yeah it's like that, that kind of weird, like, again, like, I think she, one thing she really does a good job of is like, is like talking about kind of the, the multiple perspectives of, of situations that, that exist and kind of switching back and forth between them. Uh, I think that happens in a, in a lot of these tracks where she's kind of, she's kind of talking about it from multiple perspectives in a way that, I don't know, I, I find really, I find really reassuring when I listen to it, where it's like, you know, it's someone who's it's like, like everyone, someone who's got problems, but like, she's like working on it, you know? Even even when she's failing, I mean, a lot of this a lot of this album, in my mind, it sounds like it's about like the cycles of of like um, using drugs to self medicate, and then realizing that you shouldn't be using that drugs that much to self medicate, right? And then like going back and forth and back and forth, and like there's there's all these questions in here about like children and 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 like you know abortion and and all sorts of yeah all sorts of these like bigger life questions but it's just given to you in a way that's like the exact opposite of Aesop Brock where he's like he's like everything is kind of terrible and I feel overwhelmed I'm not sure quite what to do except like except who I am as like a closed off person whereas like no name is, is like very much like I'm working on it yeah <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make this work and things things are gonna work out and there's like all these guest vocalists who who just kind of, you know, again, like feel like this part of this cast of characters that just um, show up to kind of reinforce these, these points. And some of the guest vocals are so good. Like I just love it when they, when they go off into harmonies and the last track on the album is, is probably my favorite though. Um, I can't actually, it has a weird name. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense for what the song is in my mind, Hmm. but uh, that one you, you might remember where I, I i don't know i should probably look this up. um you know it's it's but it's like it's like uh oh shadow man that's, that's right it. yeah and I'm, i i know saba but i don't know the other people on this track but it, it's you know it's like bless the nightingale darkness keeps you well you know yeah and just that like super super minimalist but like tight beat behind it and one thing that i, I really do love about this this album is that similar to that um, the beats that Tobacco was making, 
for Malibu Ken, it, it's done in a totally different way, but there's this really similar thing where a lot of it sounds like the nineties and these, these like synth sounds that, that the kind of, the kind of waver and, and like loop in weird ways that makes you wonder if someone just held a microphone up to like an old VHS tape. Yes. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so, it's so striking to me. And, and I, again, I just don't, hate myself for liking stuff from the 90s anymore it's just <laughs> kind of who i am and and like there's nostalgia there and I, I i don't think it's a dirty word anymore so i really like this album that's that's a long and short of it i think you mentioned in your email to me that you listened to the album like every night a couple of summers back yeah when it came out i was riding my bike at night a lot and i would just listen to it while i was riding Nice. It's like I knew how far away my friends' houses were by how many tracks I could get through to get there. <laughs> so, like, my friend Rob lived six six songs away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, is that the defining memory for you of, um, like, listening to this record? If this record yeah. was to have, like, a you know, an experiential kin for you, would it be the experience of riding in summer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of these artists, I, I, I mean, to be clear, I think I think everyone does this, but like all of these artists I also like because I like the associations that I have with personal memories around them, mm. you know, there's there's no way around that. And I, I liked that summer, you know, it was a warm summer and I, I rode my bike a lot and felt good. Yeah. I should tell you this record, I loved like instantly. I think I played it twice and then bought it Uh <laughs> see this one's an easier sell i think i have been able to convince people on this one yeah i even bought a t- ticket to go and see her in london in a couple of months oh wow yeah <laughs> so i'm not sure if the new album's good or not i haven't listened to it yet i've been scared you know it's like when you really like one album you get scared sometimes to listen to the new work if it doesn't like match up to your expectations you know sure yeah no and and that's i mean that's the thing about this is that like like those other more abstract artists can't disappoint me too much because it was such a hard sell that sometimes I'm just like, I need to listen to it more, <laughs> you know, and it's not bad. It's like, I'm the problem, you know, sort of thing where it's like, that's the problem with really beautiful music. I think sometimes is like, I'm scared. I'm scared to listen to her new album, which I think is called room 25. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. I haven't done it yet though. Yeah. Um, have you listened to it? I have. Yeah. Uh, is it good? See, I really like it, but obviously it's I'm coming at a perspective where I maybe listen to the first album three or four times through and then listen to the new one. So the sort of base of expectation that I build up is nothing compared to, you know, two and a half years of <laughs> being attached well, to the previous know. work. I think I think honestly, at the end of the day, you you think about music a lot more than I do. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll actually listen to it. I've just been a little bit scared. Yeah. Um, and do you have a, a favorite track on telephone? Oh yeah, absolutely. The last track. Great. I just think it's I think it's so beautiful, and it kind of it kind of I mean it really does tie up a lot of uh, themes that have been brought up throughout the album, um, and you know it's like even even like this like main thing that, that I think starts maybe even on the first track, but like, did you, did you notice that like how many of these tr- songs mention open caskets? Yeah. It's like at least three of them, maybe four of the tracks talk about like open caskets. Are they like, Oh shit. Like this is a lot about funerals, you know? Yeah. There's such a great line. It's in a different track, but there's such a great line in there. She says like too many babies in suits. And you're like, Oh, that's like a, 
that's like not something I associate with like sadness, but it's like, where do you see babies in suits at funerals? You know? Oh yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, and, and I just think, I just think like to end an album with like such a beautiful, just like harmonized in, in a lot of cases, syncopated rapping style. Like I, I, I really love that last track. I also really like the freedom interlude though too. So I like a lot of these. Yeah. I've loved I lost in the magic. I claimed by the river, my body delivered. When I die, it's 27 rappers in my funeral. Moses wrote my name in gold and kind did the eulogy. Remember all the bashfulness, understand the truancy. Yeah, I stand in front of a college dropout. But her music was a church when your spirit hopped out. Met a gypsy in the lane, she read him a palm tree. Mysterious situation like kissing the concrete. I eat getting money. I be close to heaven. Baby, claim he love me. Hold me down forever. I never should have bought this halo. He waiting for me at his table. My funeral with Disney Fable. Jeff, this has been wicked. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking about not only your podcast, but also these these three records. I've had a great time getting into them myself as well. Oh, it, it was absolutely my pleasure, Jack. I'm 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 so glad that you let me um, share my mediocre opinions about music <laughs> for so long. <laughs> and if uh, once again, if people want to find out what you're up to and keep pace with what you're doing. Where's the best place for them to to do that online? Absolutely. Um, my, my name is Jeff Entman, and if you Google my name, you'll find me. And there's only two of us. The other one is a cattle farmer. So if you wind up on a cattle farming website, that's actually one of my relatives. That's not me. <laughs> um, and uh, oh, and he he does wheat growing stuff too in Washington State. Um, he he was part of the Washington Wheat Growers Association, but that's not me. <laughs> Um, I'm the one who has uh, a really terrible looking website and a podcast, which is called Here Be Monsters, which can be found um, pretty much anywhere that that podcasts are or at hbmpodcast.com. Great. Well, thank you once again. And to everyone listening, I will see you next time. Thanks so much, Jack.